Welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5C.consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Adaptive Executive. I'm your host, Greg Ballard, and I am pleased to invite our guest, Mark Piller, founder and CEO of Back Endless. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Greg. Good to be here. All right. First question, what is Back Endless? And tell us all about it. Back Endless is an online platform for developing mobile and web applications. It is designed to make it trivially simple for someone to turn their ideas into reality, where you can build an application without downloading anything to your computer. You log on with your browser. Of course, there is a learning curve. You need to understand what you're doing. But, and there's plenty of training for that. But once you understand what's going on, you can actually build complete mobile or web application without writing a single line of code. Whoa. Okay. I got to pause for a second. So we didn't talk about this in our pre-setup. So, but um, I have my son, nine years old, just turned nine very recently. Very technically minded, very good, strong in math. And we have uh, an app we found several years ago. It's called Blocko. And I remember playing Blocko with him when he was three. And there's there's four stages and we got through all four and then they have a little a graphic says stage five coming soon. Well, we kept checking back and it, that was when he was three. He's now nine. It still says coming soon. And he basically said, daddy, can I write? Can we, can we create one? Can we make block 05? And I said, yes, we can do that. I don't know how, but I know we can do that. So um, earlier in the year, I found Swift coding because we, we use Apple products right. and he's gone through the entire Swift coding playgrounds. And now we have an Xcode and we're learning Xcode. He's created a Dicey app. Uh, and so um, what I'm asking you and, and you know, kind of getting to help under your, our listeners understand what Backendless does, is this a platform that him and I could go on and learn how to make a simple application? Absolutely. So. If, if your nine-year-old is already working with Xcode, then... <laughs> simple, which is, simple which Xcode, but yeah. Fantastic, but still, you know, it, he's way beyond a lot of people who are well into their careers and just starting. So if you go into Backendless with the knowledge that he already has, you will actually have a blast because Fantastic. you'll we'll be exposed to, to a complete system that has all the building blocks to build an application such as user authentication, meaning how you handle logins, mm-hmm. files, working with the database and building the actual logic graphically. So that's the whole thing about backendless is you can build logic, meaning any you know, conditions and you know any, anything that is going on in the brains of the computer program, you can express graphically. That's, that's why we say that you can do it without any coding because it's the graphical uh, programming. Ah. Fantastic. We will need to check it out. Check it out. That's exciting. Because I don't know how much more Xcode I can learn. Um, 
<laughs> but he's he, he he's he's got a very good logical mind and so um we will check that out so help me understand what is your platform solve what problem is it solving that's not being solved in the market it there are different ways to solve the same like let's say if if the problem is how do i build an app there are different ways to do this uh, if you go mm -hmm. to udemy.com and just search for training courses for how to build apps, mm -hmm. there's going to be you know, there. thousands of those, meaning that there are a thousand ways to actually build an app. Mm. And, uh, our focus is to make it as simple as possible. That's number one. And the second goal is solving the problem of scalability. And scalability is one of those things that you keep hearing in the enterprise application development world, which is the background that I'm coming from. And historically, scalability is something that is associated with just being very expensive. Uh, usually, you know, companies spend a lot of money and time to build an application, and then they start focusing on scalability, hiring expensive consultants, buying a lot of expensive hardware, and all in all, the total cost of ownership, the TCO, becomes, starts becoming very high when to reach scalability. So one of the architectural goals that I set in front of my team when we were starting is to say that scalability needs to be a really a function, a feature out of the box when you start working with backendless. So when you launch an app in backendless, you get scalability out of, out of the box. Whether you have one user using your app or millions of users, the app will work exactly the same. You'll be getting just as, you know, it's going to be just as fast regardless how much data the app has accumulated or how many users you have registered and actively using your app. Mm. Love it. Got it. So simplification and lower cost or scalability. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. So now that we understand a little bit about backend lists and problems it solves, let's talk about what brought you in to create, what, what was the trigger as an entrepreneur, right? I think some of our listeners are always in the fence of, should I go do that? You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, we have an idea, but we like the consistency of that paycheck and the stability. Exactly. Tell me about that leap for you. Let's, let's go all the way back to 1994. And the reason it is 1994, it is, uh, this is when I came to America. Okay. I came uh -huh. as a refugee. Uh, I used to live uh, in former Soviet Union. The country now is called Uzbekistan, which is the far yeah. southern tip of the former USSR. So USSR broke down, a lot of Islamic fundamentalists were coming into this area, it was becoming sort of dangerous. So my parents applied for refugee status with the United mm -hmm. States, we got it, mm -hmm. came to America. And I was, I was only 19 at the time. And I was just like super inspired by everything that I saw. So I knew that, you know, working hard, and then that's what they say, you know, to immigrants, you gotta work hard, you're gonna stay focused, you know, things will happen, you will realize your American dream. So. I knew that it would be something related to computers. And I was already, you know, I was in the computer science uh, uh, curriculum and course in, uh, in university back home. So I was fortunate, fortunate enough to get a job very, relatively quickly. And I knew that it would be something with computers. So I spent about maybe six, seven years just working for different companies, just kind of getting, getting experience, figuring out how things work. And then on, one, on uh, one day, it was actually January 1st, 2003, I mm. gave myself a New Year's resolution saying that I'm going to work every single day on something cool. 
just a few hours every single day. And I, I had a full-time job then. Mm-hmm. So I picked a project to what I thought was cool at the time and started working on it. And I was working mostly nights and weekends. It took me about six months to get the product ready. And it was, I was a Java developer back then. And for me, uh-huh. something cool was just, you know, some kind of integration project. So I came up with this product. I found a competitor. It was a uh, Macromedia later purchased by Adobe. They had a competing product. I figured out all the uh, deficiencies that they had and I created something better. So then I had this product. I needed to learn how to build a website for the company to have corporate presence and so on. The name for the company that I came up was Midnight Coders because I was working basically at, at night. <laughs> I made it plural just to make look myself bigger than I was. I was just a single, di- single guy working on the side project, having a full-time job. And sorry about that. It was Alexa notifying me about something. But anyway, so I launched it and I had a customer a month after I launched it. It was actually National Rifle Association. They, they, were, they were my first customer. Um, and that, that really took off. It took me about maybe two, maybe three years to fully bootstrap it where I had to make a decision of whether I, you know, quit my full-time job and start working for myself or open source everything and just let it go because the number of customers and support inquiries and the time that it was taking was getting to the point where I could not handle both a full-time job and this little site. So I quit and started working full-time for myself. And, and that was still midnight coders. And then as time mm-hmm. was passing, passing by, I, I started hiring people and we already had a team. And then uh, the pivotal moment was in 2012. A number mm-hmm. of different things happened technologically that really forced me to look into what we had and say, okay, well, we've got to try something different. And that's when Backendless was born because it was sort sort of a pivot from Midnight Coders because we were able to leverage the technology and all the intellectual property and everything that we learned to start building Backendless. Mm. Love it. And so that's 10 years, 10 years later, ago. Yeah, that was 10 years ago. All right. So there's a few things in there. Um, you built this on your own. I love that commitment. I'm going to do something every day to do something cool, yeah. right? right? I think I think that's something I want our listeners to get. If you are in a full-time gig and you got an itch, that's a simple commitment. I'm gonna do something. It could be 10 minutes, it could be three hours, whatever it is. But that daily pattern, that daily habit of doing something on the side. And, and then you hit a critical moment where it's too much to do both. And you took a leap and I can't express it any better than that. But no matter who you are, if you've gone into entrepreneurship, you have made some kind of a leap. I mean, would you agree it, that it there, is a, there is a it, leap, it was, there's a leap in there somewhere? It's a huge leap because you go from having stability and a paycheck coming and knowing that you can, you know, plan your family budget and have the expenses, you know, meeting the income and so on to something where there is no guaranteed paycheck. There is, n- there is nothing guaranteed. Okay, so kind of you start had- hedging your bets. Like, okay, well, how long can I last if there is no income? Like for me, up until we were maybe about 10 people uh, in the company, 
I constantly was like, would process this at least once a week or maybe a couple of times a week. I would ask myself a question, how long can we go if, if there is zero income for the next six months? Can we you know, continue innovating? Can we continue supporting yeah. customers that we have? So, so long that the question was that we can go on for about a year, I was like, okay, nothing to worry. And, and that was just basically kind of this perpetual uh, process, iterative process of asking this question. And, and yeah. at that time, there were like no accounting software and no smart spreadsheets that would tell you, you know, what the, like it was all like, <laughs> right. it was all like in the, in, the, in the head, okay, well, this month we're going to generate this much and this is going to be the expense. Okay, we're doing pretty good. And this is, this is how much we have in the bank. So if we start losing, you know, a certain amount, can we last one year? Okay, things, things are pretty good. <laughs> so, so fantastic. I love that. Love that story. Love the insight there. So tell us a little bit about your team right now and a little how you're structured. I'd love to get a sense of, of where, you, where you are right now. Sure. So our team, the entire technical team is actually in Ukraine. Early on, oh. I, I uh, yeah, yeah. So early on, I, I experimented a little bit with outsourcing. And uh, I learned that outsourcing could work if you are in the consulting business. Like, let's say if you're in the business of providing services, building websites, building applications, doing kind of work for hire. Outsourcing is great just because you have this duration that people commit to, whether it's, you know, three months, six months, one year, whatever. And then you kind of go into the new project and so on. When you build products, and we are a product company, outsourcing doesn't work because people who work to build products, it is a different level of commitment. If you hire people in, in, in IT, in software development, and you are a product company and people you hire are not passionate about your product, it will show. Your product will be substandard. You will have, definitely you will have competition that has more passionate people than yours and they will beat you with whatever, you know, with, with, with the quality of the product, with the price, with the whole company. So hiring passionate people is absolutely a must if you are a product company. Well, I'd say it's a must for any company, but you can, you know, cut some slack if you're a consulting business. You can still generate decent re revenue. So yeah. our people are in Ukraine and I'm so fortunate that, you know, early on in my career, I met someone who said, hey, you know, I know a guy, he's in Ukraine, talk to him, you know, he can help you out you know, super smart. And uh, so that's how it started, like with one person. And then we started growing and growing, growing. At this point, we have about 50 people in Ukraine. And uh, working remotely is, uh, can be a challenge. And yes. because you have to be super disciplined, you have to make sure that, especially, you know, for, for me, I'm in the central time zone, there's eight hours difference. So when, by the time when I wake up and I'm ready to work, it is already like, you know, four, 3, 4 p.m. on their side. So a good portion of the day passes by where people need to know what they are going to be working on, how they communicate, how they resolve issues, how they respond to support. So that's that's a challenge by itself. Another challenge that uh, that came in when COVID started, when we, we had an office in Kiev and uh, people were working in the office, but when COVID started, of course, you know, everyone goes remote. So that was a challenge, but it was a global challenge. Everyone had to deal with it. Of course, this year, it was a mega challenge when the war started. And uh, uh, that's the we, kind of, you just never prepared. Talk? 
Yeah, can we, we can talk have... a little bit about that? I mean, obviously our listeners are going to be really curious. Um, and we know, I mean, we just crossed over the hundred days, a hundred days of, of, of war in, in, in Ukraine. I have followed the story a little bit. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to Kiev and, you know, many, it was two, a decade, two decades ago. So I've seen the city. I've been there. I've met some of the people, uh, wonderful people, but from, as in, you know, you were, we're on the adaptive executive podcast. And so I kind of love to talk about some of the things that you as a leader uh, kind of struggled with and dealt with um, as this unfolded. Can you kind of bring us in a little bit to your mindset and some of the things you were dealing with at a decision-making level? And then sure. we can talk a little bit about how you have been supporting your team and, 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 and working with them. Absolutely. So when, when the war just started, of course, it, it is associated with uncertainty for everyone. Uncertainty, worry, anxiety, all those terms apply. And no one knew how things were gonna uh, evolve, right? You know, Russia was planning to take Kiev in first three days, right? So, uh, and, if, and when, so when it just started, I basically said, guys, you know, if you need to move, relocate out of the way, because Western part of the country was considered to be a, kind of a safer zone, uh, go take care of your families, move, mm -hmm. you know, don't worry about the company, we will handle it. One way or the other, we will handle it. I'm technical enough where I, uh, you know, go into our support forum and help customers directly with whatever questions that I can. So, I notified notified our customers for uh, uh, that that uh, that had people working on various projects, saying, "Look, this is what's going on. People come first. There's going to be a pause. You know, we'll just have to regroup. We'll just have to figure out and make sure that everyone's safe or as safe as they can get." Mm. Uh, everyone clients understood. were clients largely accepting of that. Yeah, everyone. Clients were accepting. Some clients uh, uh, volunteered and really helped us and put together some uh, packages and shipped them to Poland because some families were relocating and you know women and children were relocating yeah. cross, crossing the border. They shipped mm -hmm. their um, humanitarian aid packages over there, so it was just fantastic. So people were, customers were very uh, accommodating. Mm -hmm. It took about I'd say maybe ten days, maybe two weeks before we could regroup where people relocated to where they could, the majority of them. Mm -hmm. some, some got stuck. Some got stuck without a way to get out. And uh, this is when true heroism, heroism started showing up because people would just say, oh, we're just gonna work, okay? And uh, we would be on a Zoom call or whatever, and I could hear air raids, you know, sirens going off. And people's like, just okay let's continue the conversation let's talk you know we would be talking to someone you know on slack chat from the company and they would say oh you know tanks are rolling by outside of my window i was shocked you know i'm in texas we You're could in have texas, right yeah yeah uh, we could have temperatures dropping to you know 20 fahrenheit and the whole city is locked down and people say i cannot work right i'm i cannot do anything yeah here we have yeah. rockets flying and building into buildings, residential buildings, and people still do their work. I was just absolutely amazed and, and super proud 
that you know these are these are our guys that's absolutely that's i mean there's no words to talk about how what, mm -hmm. what you just expressed there um and it's amazing that there is connectivity like i mean i i don't know all yeah. that's going on right but that yeah. they still had connectivity and able to work um yeah i don't know if you have more things you want to add on to that or as far as connectivity you know the, when there is no internet from the inter internet provider they would just turn on tethering on the phone and use that for the connection some code was committed to our you know git repositories through tethered connection so <laughs> there is like gotcha. true uh, ingenuity just to get things going wow wow well i i just commend you and your team and um we hope everyone is safe and we look I can't wait for this to be over. I think many, many people. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Wait it for is this it is crazy. It is crazy what's going on. So, so but yeah, it requires to adapt. You know, you just you should you just have to figure out how to operate in this new reality. That uh, it's hard to be prepared for that. You, you, know, you know, no one's prepared for that. You you adapt to it, right? right? You get hit. You know, everyone's got a plan if they get punched in the face. And then you need a new plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's what that's what it's really about. So, let me see if I can dissect some of this a little bit. Um, obviously, you see the the principle here is you put your people first. You absolutely and and and, and I, the the what had to be done is to make sure your people got into a safe space. Right. Reached out to your clients. And you got them on board, informed and on board, and they actually, many of them came along very supportively. Uh, and then you got essentially back to work. Was there anything else in that process of getting people back to work? Or did they have, did they were able to bring all the equipment? I mean, was there logistical things that had to be resolved? Was there security issues well, that had to be resolved with data? Logistically, it was, uh, we were already prepared because going through COVID helped mm -hmm. us uh, to get to the point where everyone could work remotely, no matter where they are. You know, we, okay. we had VPN connections, everyone had accounts, everybody knew how to log in and do whatever, starting from engineers to DevOps, you know, that just run our service. Getting people to work, what really helped, because when you are, you let's imagine, God forbid anyone to be in that situation, but let's imagine you are in a country that is in, that is a war zone, right? Mm -hmm. The, the informational space is overloaded with, you know, posts, articles, news, data, and mm -hmm. you never know if your your town, your uh, street or whatever is going to be the next target, which becomes the reality. So getting yourself preoccupied with that informational space and just being there is something that is very natural because we just want to know what's going on. But you get tired of that very quickly. It it exhausts you. Yeah, I was I'm here, you know, uh, ac across the ocean, and I was just like had multiple windows with you know, Telegram channels and you know Twitter and you know YouTube streaming live from Kiev and whatever. I I noticed the impact on myself as I was driving here on the highway, like maybe third day of war, and I noticed that I'm so dense because I'm expecting things to just flying here in Dallas, you know, the mindset starts playing tricks on you, which is crazy. It, 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 it's, it's crazy, but it becomes mm. 
sort of real. So, so time passes by, it's about maybe second week. And I know, and I, and I, I talk to people all the time and I, and I hear everyone's just getting tired. Right. So, uh, someone from the company shared a post with me that kind of started circulating in the IT information technology space in Ukraine saying, look guys, we in the IT space, you know, we are kind of the, the, the hidden frontier that could actually help our country by doing the work. Because if we work, money come in, they help the economy, they get local businesses going, they get service economy going. Right now, you know, 60% of the economy is crashed, but IT, people in IT can actually help. So I share that with everyone in the company we have, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the chat channel where everyone's in. I share that and that does the trick because people's like, okay, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Let's go back to work. And that was the, the moment that really helped to kind of really regroup and say, okay, guys, there is war, people first, your safety first. Yes. Nothing's going to change if you stop checking news every five, 10 or 30 minutes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Be plugged in, be aware listen to air sirens, go to bomb shelters or whatever, mm -hmm. but let's, let's, you know, distract from that and focus on work because that's going to actually help you to get a little bit of, for some distraction. Mm. And, and that, that helped. So do you still have team and uh, families of team members in, in dangerous zones right now? Uh, well, technically everywhere is a danger zone because they fly, they, they send those rockets, uh, okay, yeah. uh, from, you know, from Black Sea or whatever, and they could reach pretty much anywhere in Ukraine. Uh, but in the occupied territories, we don't have anyone anymore. We had one, one guy with his family that got stuck in the South that was mm -hmm. occupied like in the first three days after the war started. Mm. And they, they really got stuck and things were going bad because Russians were getting into apartments and they were just doing, you know, searches and they were looking for whatever and they were like robbing it. And then they started recruiting people to kind of force them to go into, into the front lines. So, and, and there was no humanitarian corridor to escape. So finally a corridor opened up and they left. And the next regional center in the peaceful time was two hours away by car. It took them 36 hours to get there because there were like maybe 16 or so checkpoints. Mm. Where they would stop, oh my gosh. You know, they would strip people and they would look for tattoos that would have, you know, kind of any association with, you know, Ukrainian nationalism, whatever the term that Russians are using. Um, but yeah, but so that, that was, you know, the, the only family that was like in the most danger because they were in occupied territory. Got it. But they're but out, they're safe. They're, they're out, they're safe. That's, that's good news. Uh, I want to be respectful of the scenario, but I also think, you know, I think sometimes um, we hear these stories and they start to like, you know, they start to make sense to us in a new way. And, and, and sometimes we're in a position like, well, what, is there anything I can do? And so I don't know if there's anything, but if one of our listeners wanted to do something, is there a process to support your team there? Or, you know, are they really okay at this point? How would you? Um, I, the, the team is okay. We, okay. We're fine. We're working. Uh, there are 
numerous ways to help Ukraine. Like if you feel passionate about it, yeah. and a lot of people do, which is fantastic. You know, the support that I see coming from, from Americans, including many of my friends and just generally what people are doing is huge. If someone wants to help, uh, there are multiple channel, channels. One of them, let me just verify uh, the link, um, is going to be just basically making donations. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you go to u24.gov.ua, u24.gov.ua, it's a 100% legitimate site, and any donation you make there uh, goes to the cause of helping Ukraine. U as in uniform? Yep, 24.gov.ua. .gov.ua. UA. All right, we'll make sure we include that link in the show notes. Thank you. And uh, if anyone wants to do something, they have they have some direction to do that. I want to kind of round out our conversation here a little bit, uh, Mark. First, and again, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing and you know that story and, and being vulnerable. I mean, um, I can't imagine um, what you've been going through the last several months uh, and your team, right? And, and yet they're still working. Um, just kudos to everyone. And, and, and you, you've made the connection for me and how IT and IT professionals that are in Ukraine uh, and them being able to work is actually going to be one of the things that continues to keep the Ukrainian, Ukrainian economy going. And so uh, listeners, if you, if you have work in the IT space and you can direct it to companies that employ Ukrainians, uh, that's another another venue to consider as well. Uh, tell me about, let's talk a little bit, how have you grown? I mean, you're managing a distributed organization. And one of the things that you mentioned that I'm really curious to get into is that you are eight hours uh, behind in time. Right. And so how do you, as the founder and CEO, lead from eight hours behind? I'd really love to hear some thoughts on that. Sure. So if you're starting small and you, and you are growing and you are the founder that, you know, kind of was just operating by, by yourself, one of the biggest problems that I had to learn how to cope with is delegation. You know, how do you detach something that you own and you know how to do it really, really well and delegate and let someone else do it and trusting that it's going to be done just as good. And, uh, and that is a big problem uh, because, you know, especially if it is someone who's remote and is working in a different time zone. Yeah. So, um, and especially it is especially hard for people who have trust issues. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any CEOs that have trust issues. They're all perfectly <laughs> trusting of everyone that they hire. Right, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, <laughs> so number one, I don't know, not in any particular order, but the first that comes to mind is just basically having processes that everyone understands fully. You know, how do you describe, you know, uh, a unit of work, you know, like this needs to be done. Mm -hmm. you know, describe the expected outcome, describe the process that it is being built and how it is going to be reviewed and validated and make sure that this is exactly the outcome. And this could, this could go for a number of things, you know, code, examples, uh, the way we handle support responses, design work, uh, 
test cases, uh, you name it. So creating the creating protocols uh, or putting a system in place that enforces those protocols is very important. Mm -hmm. For IT organizations, it could be as simple uh, or it, at the very minimum having something like JIRA, J-I-R-A, which is a system, well-known system for project tracking, project management, but bug tracking. Uh, having a system of code reviews, like for instance, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, and it really becomes a cultural thing, corporate cultural thing where you know, if code is written, it must be reviewed by other people to make sure that, you know, it conforms to standards and, you know, all the different use cases have been thought about. Uh, as far as delegation, the way it kind of worked out for me is I was fortunate that the team that, that I have, a good portion of, of, or the number of people in that team have been with me for a long time which is a rarity in, in the Ukrainian IT space because maybe prior to COVID, the competition for uh, outsourcing is huge. There are a lot of companies that mm -hmm. you know, mega houses hiring you know, thousands of engineers and one can change job in, in Ukraine, maybe you know, three times per day and then get a bump in the salary every single time because the demand is huge. It's still a little bit different now with the war. Mm -hmm. Prior to war, it was different. So you really kind of have to provide an environment where people feel like they're growing. You have to provide competitive salaries and you have mm -hmm. to make sure that people really enjoy what they're doing. So with, with some of the team members being with me for a long time, we kind of got to know each other, each other really, really well. And with that, you know, you build the trust and they kind of know what you expect and how you want the things to be done. And with that, the process of delegating responsibilities becomes easier because you basically say, look, this is what I need help with. Okay, this is now on you and you know what I, what I expect. And, and you just kind of, you know, say, okay, this is now on you. One less thing to worry about that yeah. I have. Uh, but, you know, if we, to answer your question, operating remotely, it really is the business process and making sure that people who are in charge, team leads, you know, people who are in charge of certain functionality or whatever, they really understand what's expected of them. And not only clarity. that, clarity, but it's also very important for their small company for mm -hmm. people to know why they're doing it. As soon as, you, as, soon as people lose the, the idea of why they're doing it, it mm -hmm. will start showing in the quality, in mm -hmm. the way it was manifested, in the ease of use and so on. For us being small, every single person who does something, they know why they see other people, users and consumers and customers mm -hmm. using that and providing direct feedback. So this connect between you know, someone who's doing something and producing and someone who's using it is, is obvious. You know, One other thing that I did is everyone on the product team we take rotation to handle support. Like there is no support organization. What we did is the product Ooh, team- that's interesting. <laughs> is the support team. So we have a calendar. There is a basically yeah. rotation where every single person on the product team handles support on any given day. And it just rotates. And that becomes, uh, that has a very interesting effect because first of all, oh, yeah. customers yeah. communicate directly with the product team. Yep. And the product team, you know, feels like, you know, hey, these are real users, you know, these are the people that we build stuff for. And, and, and it also helps with cross-training because you could have a Java guy handling support 
getting questions about you know JavaScript or iOS or something on the UI and JavaScript and so on. And that kind of in, enhances the cross-functional communication within the team because yeah. you start learning about things that are happening somewhere else in the product. So I love that. I love that. And my instinct, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. But my instinct is that I don't, I don't know how well that would go over in the US. I don't know. Putting product people on customer support. It's one of those things that you do when you are a startup. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um, I want to touch on something because I, I, you've alluded to it, but I don't know how if it's crystallized in your organization. Um, do you have an operating set of values for your teams? We do, but it is not something that is written and is hanging somewhere in the frame. Okay. Well, so no, that, that's less importantly, are they on the wall that sure. they're actually functionally there? We do. We do. Um, so for people who write code, code is everything. Okay. You, uh, poor code does not mean you're a bad developer. Poor code means that, you know, we all need to work on something. I, and uh, when poor code starts repeating from coming from the same person, that means that we actually made a bad hiring mistake. And it, it, it very rarely happens, like in the past 10 years, maybe twice, that's it. So code has the utmost value. It means that it's gonna be reviewed. And sometimes, you know, I get annoyed because, you know, working with a company of perfectionists, you, we could have, you know, some bug fix or whatever. And I log in just to see all the reviews and it's gonna be like, you know, pages and pages of comments and going on and on and on and on about various things that could be done and how to do it better. And sometimes you're gonna say, look guys, is this good enough? Does it solve 99% of the use cases? So Can we document? <laughs> Sorry, is it called refactoring? Yes, it is called refactoring. Yes, I knew that word. <laughs> and refactoring could actually be annoying for a lot of CEOs because it's like, okay, guys, we have this, you know, three months to build something. Let's build it. Everyone's working, like going great. Now we have it. And then, and then another two months, like we're actually refactoring what we did. You know, it's going to be better. <laughs> it works. It works. It, it works. And this is what I've learned in helping my son with coding is, yeah. yeah, it works. But if you refactor it, it works with less lines. Right. And from a CEO, we're like, it works. Ship yeah. it. Like, it's exactly. fine. No, mm -hmm. and, they, you know, we you want to make it more efficient. Um, right. Yeah. So I and it's, it's the professional pride, you know, just you want to release <laughs> something that is like as good as it can be. Understood. And, yes. know, for developers, it's like, you know, sort of like badge of honor that we did it in the best possible fashion. <laughs> yeah. So I touch on the values question because, and, and, and delegation is, is a significant discussion, right? From a C-suite uh, founder, uh, founder, CEO uh, of a growing organization, the ability to delegate and to entrust someone else with accountability, like hold them accountable for outcomes. And one of the things that we teach and we kind of, we support organizations is, is um, reinforcing that value structure because I have found when there's a clear purpose, a clear set of resources and clear system of values, it's easier to delegate because if those values have been conveyed and, and, and we see them, that's the filter. Right. And so if something goes awry, it's like, okay, did we go through the values? Did you operate on our core values? 
did you prioritize the the objective function of the purpose of the project you know did you and if you did all that then there's nothing wrong with your performance there's something else that went wrong and we have found the uh, helping leaders to delegate has been enhanced by the focus on values and making sure that those are there on the employee level or the manager team lead level. And right. so that's why I wanted to click on that a little bit. Right, and we do have those at a lower level that is easier to apply for mm. each individual uh, with whatever professional duties that they have. For instance, going back to the same support, one of the values that we apply and sort of like a policy is that when a question is posted to our support forum, we need to respond to it as fast as we can. Because, and the because is the most important thing, because as soon as they post it, that question, asking how certain things should work or the error that they're getting, the time that it takes us to respond is the time that we give to that user to look for an alternative. And the longer we take to respond, the more time they have to find a competitor that may or may not work better. So mm -hmm. we have to be super quick. And, and it's, it's actually interesting because a lot of people who post our support form and get an instant response, they are actually genuinely surprised. Like, wow, you know, you responded within the same hour because mm -hmm. in, with, with software companies, I don't know how we got to this, but with, and probably we got to it because of outsourcing. With software companies, you know, you post a question and you get a response a couple of days, sometimes weeks later. And that is like standard. And I don't get it. I honestly don't understand. I, so I have some SaaS tools vendors that we use and, you know, I'll need to open the chat. <clears throat> and sometimes I'll say, it'll say uh, expected response three hours. Mm -hmm. And in some cases I'm like, hey, okay, um, I, I'll wait. But in the moment, like I'm working on this now, okay? My mind, my resources are, where exactly. my mind is gonna be in three hours may not be on this issue. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing, but more importantly, when I'm approaching one of my vendors on behalf of my client, right? And my client has an urgent issue, I need that quick immediate, I need that immediate response so I can be responsive to my client. So, um, I think responsiveness is a key factor in any type of tech support. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Mark, I wanna, this has been a great conversation. I think we, we can probably stay on this for another hour or so, but um, I wanted to kind of begin rounding out our conversation. And uh, first of all, thank you again for sharing, you know, the story and, and, and what's been going on in Ukraine with your team and really encouraged to hear they're safe and they're working. I'm just, um, you know, bravo, uh, please pass on their kudos for their, their, their steadfastness and kind of doing what has to be done in spite of the circumstances. Uh, also, thank you for directing our listeners to how they could be supportive of folks in Ukraine. And I wanted to give you um, a thought, a, a, a moment here. Is there anything else you'd like to share with um, our listeners along the lines of being an adaptive executive? Something that I wanted to mention, it's one of the mistakes that I made early on, is as soon as you start seeing some signs of people buying your product or service, 
and if if you especially if you notice that it becomes cyclical where you know a question comes in and you have a call and they play with it and you eventually you know see them buying if you don't have sales folks sales department yet start working on it as soon as possible because mm. for a long time the mistake that i have made is not hiring salespeople early enough in the process oh wow that's and, a nugget yes and because for me i'm a technologist um, mm -hmm. i'm an entrepreneur kind of by how things have evolved mm -hmm. and i was and i and i i was thinking all along that i will build a machine the product is going to be the machine that will sell itself okay we will put all the bells and whistles in there that you know people will you know put in the credit card and sign up and and yes it should work like this for products that sell at the price where the salesperson will not be even interested in touching it like if you sell service for 10 bucks a month you don't need a salesperson it needs to sell itself if you start working on an enterprise product where you know average uh, transaction could be you know 10 50 100 you know a month a year whatever that will not sell by itself you will need a salesperson and hiring that salesperson is going to be a very important decision and thing that you will need to do early on. I'm so glad you said that. And with that, Mark, if our listeners wanted to connect with you or follow you, where, where would they go and uh, kind of get more Mark Pillar, more back um, I'm on LinkedIn. So it is slash N slash Mark Pillar, or just, just search for Mark Pillar, P-I-L-L-E-R. I'm on Twitter as uh, at Codeless Coder. I used to be Midnight Coder. Now I'm Codeless Coder. I love um, it. Codeless Coder. Codeless Coder. And uh, yeah, with that, it's very, it's going to be very easy to get a hold of me. And Twitter. All right. There it is. We'll make sure we include those in the show notes. Uh, Mark, thank you so much again. And uh, I wish you and your team all the best. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard and thank you for listening.